A couple weeks ago, uh, we did a sermon on seeking, what it takes to be a seeker. And as, if you were here, great. How many of you were here two weeks ago for that sermon? Yeah, all right. Um, and uh, I, uh, I suggested an exercise that we do, sort of a follow-up to that sermon. It turned out that to be a, a seeker, uh, the key skill was honesty. So I said, as an exercise, let's try to tell the truth all the time for one solid week. Like, you know, just like no hedging, no wiggling, just like tell the truth for a week. How many of you did the exercise? That's good. It was better than I thought. That's like 15% or something like that. So, so 15% uh, did it and 85% uh, uh, are going to do it this week. Probably. Um, even for the 85% of us who didn't do it, I mean, was it useful to think about? Yes? Yeah? And I think sometimes, sometimes the life of following Jesus is like that. You know, it's like we think about it. We think about it. And there is some utility to thinking about the ideas of God, the ideas of faith. There is some utility to thinking about the ways of God. There is some sort of transformation that happens in us just by treating it as an intellectual exercise, an intellectual rumination uh, to keep it all up here. However, Blue Water Mission as a church is dedicated to the proposition that following Jesus cannot be merely an intellectual exercise. That is entirely uh, what we're about, and it turns out that we stole that from Jesus. Uh, and so that is what we're going to talk about today um, in, in short. We're in the middle of this sermon series on the way. Uh, when when uh, Jesus uh, ascended to heaven after his life, right after his resurrection, and his followers, uh, which were few in number at first and then sort of grew explosively, had to figure out what to do now that Jesus had left them in charge, so to speak, and how to do it. And so they kind of invented the life of following uh, after Jesus. And what they called it was not the church. They didn't call it the church, and they didn't call it the faith. Instead, they called it what? Remember? They just called it the way. Now, we're preaching the way. What way? Well, this is the way to kind of follow God in the world. This is the way. And it's inextricably tied up with this fellow named Jesus and what he did and what he taught and the Holy Spirit that empowered us. But, but that's how they referred to it, the way, the way of getting it done on earth, the way of living out this life of faith. Um, and it's important for us to understand that there's a way to go about doing things and not just to kind of leave it as an intellectual exercise. A through Z, there's a way to progress in life. You got to know where you are so that you know what you have to do as a follower of, of Jesus so that you don't drift because it's the drifting in life that kills us. Drifting sucks. Drifting sucks. When 
our faith dies, when we get knocked off the path, it typically is not because we have quit wholesale. It's typically not because we have decided against God, against faith, against following Jesus. When we get taken out, it's because we have drifted. It's not the spirit of no that kills us. It's the spirit of eh that kills us. It's delay, it's vagueness, and it's diffusion and distraction. That's what kills us. And so drifting sucks. Everybody say it together. What did you say? Did you? You didn't say it right. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Now you're preaching to each other. Ah, do you feel it? Do you feel the love? Give each other a high five. So two weeks we talked about being a seeker. Um, and the essential skill to seeking, the essential skill for being a seeker is honesty. Um, just being an honest person, be honest with yourself about yourself, that's really, really hard. But if you pull that off, then you can be honest about what you see and what you're learning. And that's really what it means to be a seeker. And once you become a seeker in life, you should never stop, no matter how much you learn, no matter how deeply uh, you believe and how experienced you get in following God. Uh, and then last week we talked about believing because once you become a great seeker, ultimately, of course, one hopes that you become a believer. And the essential skill to believing is deciding. The essential skill for believing is deciding. Deciding is a word that literally means to cut away. So making definite decisions and being willing to say no to any number of things so that you can say yes to the thing that you believe in. The essential skill of believing is deciding. And, and once you've believed, once you've decided to believe, well, then you have to live out your faith. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today, uh, to not get stuck and to not drift once you've committed to living the life of faith, because faith can stagnate and die. Even once it enters your life, it can wither away. Jesus gives a lot of teachings about that. Honesty is the essential skill of seeking. Deciding is the essential skill of believing. What is the essential skill of faith? What is the essential skill for living out the life of faith? That's what we're going to talk about today. But first, there is a warm-up question. Everybody roll your shoulders. Everybody roll your eyes. You do it at me often enough. And this is a self-inventorying type of question. Here you go. You ready? You ready? What's the last thing you did out of faith? What's the last thing you did purely out of faith? The last thing you did out of faith. I'm going to give you eight seconds to consider. Getting out of bed and coming to church this morning does not count. <clears throat> What's the last thing you did out of faith? Go ahead and share it with the person next to you. If that person is a stranger and it's awkward, welcome to Blue Water. 
the last thing you did out of faith. Even if you're not a believer in God, you still occasionally do things out of faith. So maybe you have a really interesting answer. Go ahead and share, at least those of you who came up with answers. I'll give you 10 seconds to share with one another. We call this the introvert rehabilitation portion of the service. All right, all right, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. How many of you had, had answers that just leapt to mind? Oh, here's the last thing I did out of faith. How many of you really had a hard time answering that question? The last thing I did purely out of faith. I mean, be honest, be a good seeker. How many of you had a tough time answering that question? Oh, I'd, I'd have to think about that. Hmm, the last thing I, I did out of faith. It's an important question uh, because it has to do with how Jesus thought about faith. And for Jesus, there was a difference between belief and faith. And I'm playing with words here a little bit because, you know, it depends how you define things and how you translate things and stuff like that. But maybe it makes more sense for me to put it this way. There's a difference between believing and trusting. And I think it's one of the biggest differences in life. Certainly, perhaps, the biggest difference in the life of faith. So, uh, I'm, I'm hiking. I love to hike. I'm out in the woods. Uh, I come across this, uh, this river chasm, and there is a rope bridge across the chasm. Now, I can believe the bridge is there, but I do not trust that bridge until I start walking over it. You see the difference? You can be a business person, and, and you're striking a business deal, and you draw up a contract, and you can believe that it's a good deal. But you do not entrust yourself to the deal until you sign the contract. Now you're trusting. Now uh, you're committed. You can believe that you have a God-given purpose, but you don't trust God until you start living out that purpose. So trusting requires action. It requires movement. And faith is when belief tries what it should. Faith is when belief tries what it should. Or as we often say uh, around Blue Water, faith is trying. Faith is trying. That's what it boils down to. It's not even succeeding because the faith is all in the trying, right? What happens next? Well, it's influenced by your faith, but, you know, you can't control everything. Faith is trying, and that's why our, our church t-shirt simply says, try, period. Boils it down for us. And, uh, I mean, look at us. We need it to be simple and boil down, uh, don't we? Faith uh, is trying, and there are just all sorts of Jesus teachings and hunks of Scripture from the New Testament that are about this uh, precisely. Uh, we've thrown some of them uh, in your program. Uh, they're going to be up on, on the big board, and, and I picked some of these because I felt like, you know, they would be familiar to those of you who have some familiarity with Scripture generally, uh, even if you haven't uh, been hanging out in the Bible in life. Uh, 
Some of these uh, might be familiar to you. The first one is from Matthew uh, chapter 7, and it comes from the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous teaching. Jesus sort of inaugurated uh, his public ministry in some sense with this this moral teaching, this 20-minute sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the most famous moral teaching in, in world history. And he goes through all of these incredible insights. It sort of starts with, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and then redefines a lot of moral thinking. And then he ends the Sermon on the Mount with this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, who does something, who follows through, who tries, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, does not follow through, does not try anything as a result, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell, not just casually, but with a great crash. And Jesus was always saying things like this. It's like, here are some profound things for you to think about. Now go try something. Now go do something with it. Otherwise, it's going to be disastrous. You know, not just like mildly inconvenient, but like your house of faith will fall apart with a crash when things get stressful. It will be less than worthless to you, uh, he says. Uh, I'm mindful of two sayings that we have around Blue Water. One, discipleship is, discipleship is follow through. And then, of course, faith is trying, which is maybe our most fundamental proverb and uh, one I already mentioned. Uh, the second little uh, paragraph there comes from Matthew 25, and it's just an excerpt from a parable that Jesus tells uh, about, uh, about bags of gold. Uh, he's talking about what the kingdom of God is like, uh, what the order of heaven on earth is like. Our job is to spread the order of heaven on earth and to gather people into it. That's one way to summarize uh, Jesus' call on our life. And so he's talking about what those of us who want to live in the kingdom of God on earth, what it will be like for us. And he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. That's a 100% return, which is a very aggressive investment. So this guy went for it and it paid off for him. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. 100% return, uh, good for him. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. If this parable is familiar to you, you know what happens next. The master returns, and the guy who 
got 100% return on his five bags of gold. He gets congratulations and promoted and put in charge of more stuff. And the guy, the guy who, who invested his two bags of gold, he gets promoted. He gets put in charge of more stuff, and it's celebratory. And then the guy who had hid his wealth in a hole, dug it up, came and presented it to the master and said, it's safe. I still got it. Um, and the question is, well, why didn't you invest it in something profitable? And, and the servant with the one bag said, well, because I knew you were a hard master. In summary, I knew you were judgmental. And so my goal was just to keep stuff safe. My goal was just to not do anything wrong. And what happens to that uh, loser servant? Well, he gets cast out. Uh, he gets punished. The master gets very angry. And there are lots of ways to interpret that parable. Um, this morning, perhaps, I would uh, translate it this way. I would say, if you have the wrong idea about God, then you do nothing. Then you're afraid to act. If you think God is nothing but a harsh judge, then you won't try very much. But if you have the right idea about God, if you understand what life is, life is for purpose. Life is for doing glorious stuff. God has designed it that way, and He is enthusiastic about it. And whatever kind of resource you've been given, whether it's a lot, a medium amount, or a little amount, the right thing for you to do is to try and do something with it, to try, to try the best that you can. And if you mess up on that idea, if you don't get that, that's what gets judged. Playing it safe is the least safe thing you can do in the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. Jesus teaching 101. You got to try. You got to try. Try what? Well, I don't know. Depends what you've been given, but figure out. Try something. Try something. You can try and fail. No problem. In fact, failure never even gets mentioned in this parable. I don't think God judges failure. You can try and fail, but you cannot fail to try. That's terrible. That is anti-kingdom of God. And Jesus talks about this so often that eventually the epistle writers, like the, the leaders of the early church, the guys that were figuring out how to instruct the rest of the world about the way, they obviously picked up on it. Uh, I, I uh, chose an excerpt from the passage of, uh, a passage from James chapter 2, uh, because I, I think it's a, a fairly well-known passage, and, and James was a guy who... Uh, really like to boil things down and say stuff provocatively. Uh, he was uh, the brother of, of Jesus, grew up in the same family that Jesus did, but uh, did not come a believer. Uh, legend has it until after Jesus was resurrected, and then he became uh, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he's trying to instruct early Christians on how to conceive of faith. And he says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds different things. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. That's a Hebrew-style provocation. 
You know, it's meant to, to provoke you to think. Uh, I will show you my faith with my deeds. Now you show me faith without doing anything. Pause. Oh, you can't show me faith without doing anything. That's kind of what he's saying. Uh, I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. You have decided to believe in God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. In other words, just because you believe the right thing doesn't necessarily do you any good. I mean, think about it. And Satan believes in God. Satan knows who Jesus is. Satan probably knows Scripture way better than you do. He's had a long time to think about it. Doesn't help him at all because he's not responding correctly. He's not following through. He's not trying in the right manner. You foolish person. I think probably in the original language that came across a bit more gruffly. Idiot. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? That's really harsh. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Really scary story if you know it. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. Faith and action together. And his faith was made complete by what he did, uh, which is a phrase I like. What does it mean for faith to be complete? Well, it has to, has to try something. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Words are inelegant here, but what he's saying is like righteousness, or some translations will say justice is a matter of what you do, not a matter of what you think. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a, in a different direction? Uh, you might not know this story, but this has to do when the Israelites were coming into the land of Canaan and they were uh, facing down um, enemies like in the city of Jericho and Rahab was a prostitute who lived in this city and she helped the Israelites. She discovered some Israelite spies in the city and sheltered them and did the right thing and distracted the enemy even though she was not an Israelite. She had just heard about the one true God and decided that she would trust that God. Now she was a, she was a prostitute by trade, right? She did not always do the right thing. And one assumes she did not believe all the right things about God. But she trusted God here, and it was credited to her as righteousness, and she became a hero of the faith. Because even if you don't know everything, even if you don't believe everything perfectly, it turns out you can still do things in faith. And God gets super excited about that. That makes faith live. That makes life happen. You don't have to be perfect up here. You just have to try out here. That's the kingdom of God. Rahab became a hero of the faith and one of the grandmothers of Jesus Christ. Um, interesting lady. And then he winds it up by saying, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead dead. 
Faith is trying, and discipleship is follow-through. And this, this makes sense to me. It makes sense that the Lord would design the universe in this way because life is for purpose. When Jesus calls a person, he always calls that person to purpose, to a job. Your life is not meaningless. The point of your life is not to believe in God and then hunker down and wait until you die and hopefully you, you get into eternity. That's not how this works. If that's how this works, then you would not have years to fill. Faith, I mean, life is for purpose. Life is supposed to be meaningful. And the way you make life purposeful, and the only way you make life meaningful, is by trying the things of faith. Belief is, or faith is when belief tries what it ought. That is the only thing that really counts with respect to purpose and calling and meaning and everything that life is for. Love is love when it is expressed. Generosity is generosity when it is expressed, right? Um, you cannot uh, read Scripture even casually and not come upon that principle. And yet, and yet, I think it's possible to believe like a champion but try like a dabbler. It happens to a lot of us. We focus really hard on believing the right things and we kind of forget to try the right things. It is a disease that afflicts Christians a lot. And those Christians kind of drift and their faith dies and it does not end well. They fall off the way. And that is a very unfortunate tragedy. You can believe in miracles. How many of you believe in miracles? How many believe that God can do miracles today? God can do miracles through us today. How many of you try to perform miracles? That's where the rubber meets the road. Believing in miracles, relatively easy. Trying to perform miracles, more challenging. And so we Christians avoid the latter. And Blue Water Mission was founded on the proposition that, hey, if you believe it, you got to try it. You got to try it. That's where the life is. That's where the power is. You can believe in truth. How many of you believe in the truth of the gospel? All right. This should be a no-brainer, people. How many of you believe in the truth of the gospel? All right. Good. Thank you. How many of you have tried to preach it to someone recently? Harder. Harder. The follow-through is a bit harder, but Blue Water Mission was founded on the proposition that if you believe in the power of truth, you've got to figure out how to speak it into the world. And even if you don't speak it, you have to perform it. You have to express it in a way that bears witness and gathers people in because it's what our belief suggests that we should do. Um, we're totally uh, designed for this at Blue Water, um, as, as, you might, as you might glean. Uh, we're passionate about it in a few different ways. We try to make this an all-play sort of church. Uh, here's a, here's a, an exercise we do. Who are the ministers of Blue Water Mission? We are. You, you guys, us. You know, I'm included in that. I do a little bit of work, uh, casually, part-time, on Sunday. Um, but, you know, you guys are the ministers of the church. This is an all-play situation. Everybody 
has to uh, bring game, uh, as we say. What game did you bring today? Did you come to just sit in the chair, or did you come to affect somebody? And that's part of, of the culture. We try to take that very seriously. We have a culture of asking each other questions about it, because culture is the best coach. And so we try to develop a culture in which we are interacting with each other over issues of follow-through. We have five discipleship questions uh, that we try to make sure everybody knows. Who can tell me the five? Number one, what's God saying to you recently? Number two, what are you doing about it? Number three, what's hard about it? What's hanging you up? What's getting in the way? What do you have to overcome? Number four, who are you trying to bring along as you live this life of follow-through? Number five, how can I help you? Like five fingers on a hand, you could write cheat notes and remember all of those five questions. But when you get in a group, right, the conversation sort of gets conditioned by this question, question asking culture. So uh, what's God been directing you to do? What's going on? What's important in your life with God right now? Tell me. Well, that kind of forces you to actually, oh, be aware. Hmm. What are you doing about it? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, that's the money question. That's really where follow-through starts. And asking questions like that is how we help one another stay on the way so that we don't drift because drifting sucks. We stay on purpose, purposely on purpose. And I think that's what Paul meant when he said, spur one another on to doing good works. Or some translations will say, compete with one another in the doing of good works. Well, what are you doing in faith this week? Oh, that inspires me. I want to do something even more. That's sort of a healthy sort of quote-unquote competition. Challenge one another. Poke at one another. And that's how we stay honest and, and on track. And we celebrate stories of try in one another. We tell stories. We're in it for the stories is another saying that we have uh, at Blue Water Mission. Uh, last night, we had our annual uh, leaders banquets where the captain of, captains of various ministry streams get together. I mean, so many people that participate in ministry at Blue Water. Uh, but we sort of gather the ones that are supervising the various ministries. Uh, there ends up being about 50 people in the room. And at our annual leaders banquet, what we do is we have a talk story. All night long, all we do is tell stories. But being Blue Water, we do it competitively and we give trophies. We give a trophy for the most awkward ministry moment of the year. Uh, that's really great. This year, the winner had to do with hormonal expression in an outreach dojo in Indonesia. I can't go into details. It's not really PG. Um, awkward. Uh, and the, we give a trophy for most spectacular whiff, or most spectacular ministry failure uh, of the year. And this year it had to do with accidentally paying $600 to take Hawaiian sand to Taiwan. Long story. All right, sort of spectacular failure. And long story, that sand, it turned out, led to uh, two people giving their lives uh, to Christ. Spectacular failure. Messed up, messed up, messed up. God redeems it at the end. And I know what you're thinking. We sent sand to Asia, and people came to faith, 
Yes, ask, ask Stuart about it. Uh, and uh, he will tell you how that story went. It was a victory of our missions outreach team. Uh, we had other great stories. Uh, we give a, a trophy for, for Blue Water Moment of the Year, which is, is like the moment where you're doing ministry and you just think to yourself, man, how did my life become this? You know, because you're way out there in the blue water and there are no landmarks. And, and this year we gave a trophy uh, to uh, a person uh, who works in our justice ministry whose name was mistakenly dropped in the middle of a, a federal court case uh, against uh, a murderer and, and a pimp so that he now knew who she was, one of the people bringing witness against him. And then he was freed, so her life was under threat. And uh, long story short, she ended up becoming temporarily kind of a witness protection marshal and being given privileges of a Homeland Security employee. For, it's, it's, it's a long, complicated story, but by the end of it, we're like, yeah, just take the trophy. There are other interesting stories, and, you know, and they're all just joyful. They're all just wonderful. They're inspiring. They're heartrending. They're hilarious. We got a story of two lawyers in the church who left uh, their cushy jobs at well-established law firms to start a justice law firm uh, that is now uh, in, uh, helping to, to fund our justice outreach ministry on, on the street. We had a story about the hilarious, albeit very tiring hijinks of the volunteers that were remodeling our church office and our decrepit building over there, and they were remodeling and ended up destroying, and we had a great story about how uh, one woman's story about reuniting with the daughter she had not seen in 40 years led to uh, another young woman uh, to go search for her biological parents and ultimately reuniting with her father and how one story leads to another and is to personal revelation and, and growth and, and family growth. Um, uh, last night, uh, Blue Water veteran Jesse Rothholtz died in Queens Hospital from diseases that he contracted on the mission field in Africa after what was like a five and a half month battle or something like that. Uh, should not have lived for, for even a couple of weeks, and he ended up setting the record for longevity in the Queen's ICU, but he expired finally and now is in heaven. All the people that prayed for that, all the, the tears that were sowed into that battle, uh, Jesse's in heaven. He tried well in this life, and those who tried to save him from disease at the end tried well. These are stories. These are stories. I would love to just bless you with a life filled with interesting stories. Some of them will be epic. Some of them will be hilarious. Some of them will be personal and poetic. But they will be stories worth telling. And stories worth telling only come from trying. Trying in faith. Trying what belief tells you to try. That is the only game. That's the only game in life. That's the only one that counts. So what we need to do, we need to do three things around here if we're going to make the way work for us at Blue Water. Number one, we have to participate. Participation 
is, is the basic form of trying. Yeah, you got to come to church. You got to participate in what we do together, even if it seems a little awkward uh, to you, uh, which is why we kind of run a participatory meeting here. We have Ohana groups that meet during the week, little small groups that meet in people's homes or offices or wherever where you get together face-to-face -face and get to know people and develop significant relationships, which are incredibly helpful as we walk out this life. But those are participatory meetings. You encounter God together. You wrestle with questions together. Participation is the most basic form of trying. And the second thing you do is you have to serve. You have to find some way to, to serve the body. Serving is the basic form of loving. Serving is the basic form of loving. So I, I don't care. Even if it's like hanging out for 10 minutes after service and helping us stack chairs, volunteering for setup or tear down or getting involved with worship or prayer or cakey ministry or, you know, preaching ministry. God knows we need help there. Um, or just greeting the visitors and gathering them into your Ohana groups, right? This is serving. This is serving. And of course, there are loads of ways to serve during the week as well. But the thing about serving is that it really needs very little qualification beyond the willingness to do it consistently. And sacrificing consistently, that's really how we learn uh, to love. If you get doing something, doors open. And then you have to learn to minister. Uh, God has called you for a purpose. You get to discover what that is, and it comes from growing in, in, in ministry calling and skills and gifting. Ministry, man, that's where you get the interesting stories, where you're expressly and consistently and personally trying to make a difference in other people's lives with, with gifts and an approach that you are increasingly perfecting in your own life. You become a, a minister in the world, which is your calling. You're designed to be salt and you're designed to be light. And if you don't know how you, uniquely and personally, go about being salt and light in the world, then you are as yet impoverished. But you can get there very quickly. You can get there very quickly. And this is important. We talk about those things a lot, but just for your reference. Participate, serve, and then learn to minister. And the rest is just really, really interesting story. I don't know what ministry is going to mean for you. It might mean you go overseas to plant a church among unreached people. Some of us are doing that. It might mean that you intentionally and routinely start meaningful conversations with people at work or at school. And then eventually through those conversations, you make specific invitations to people. You invite people to church. You invite people to your small group. You invite people to special uh, events that we do. Or you invite people to Jesus. Some great stories last night about people who just tried conversations and ended up seeing people come to faith and start their own life with Jesus. Ministry for you might mean that you do something really interesting with your money or really interesting with your profession. Great stories about that all the time. I don't know what it's going to mean for you, but it's going to mean something interesting, and it will come from trying things and not delaying. That I can guarantee you. Right before Jesus went to heaven, 
uh, he told his guys, hey, don't try anything until you receive the gift my father promised. For in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We are not meant to do any of this alone. God with us here and now is called the Holy Spirit. And at the end of every Blue Water service, we always invite people to have a direct encounter with God's Spirit. And we do this because even Jesus said, it's unwise to try stuff until you are filled with the power and presence of God. It's really helpful. If you want to preach, Jesus said to his guys, it's the Holy Spirit who will give you words in that hour. If you want to perform miracles, Jesus said, you will be clothed with power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive miracle working power. You're not meant to do this alone. And what I have found is that the life of try creates tremendous intimacy between me and God. We learn to live and work together. You know, this, a tremendous intimacy with the Lord that can come through a prayer life, sure. But nothing can substitute for the life of trying things with God in the real world. So uh, in, a, in a second, we're just going to have the prayer ministry team go over along the wall. And if you're like, yeah, you know, this sounds good. It's a little bit scary. I would just like the presence and the power of God in my life. Go get some prayer. They'll lay a hand on your shoulder, and they will invite the presence of God to come upon you. They will invite the direct voice of God to speak to you personally. That is the beginning of a lot of great stories, and that's why we make such a big deal about it. If you go to our newcomers class that's coming up here in a, another weekend, um, uh, toward the end of every newcomer's class, we have a Holy Spirit retreat. You'll be told about that. If you've never encountered God personally and powerfully in a here and now sort of way, go to one of our Holy Spirit retreats. They're meant to be launching pads for trying, for really interesting stories uh, with God. Get that experience. Get it. That's how God interacts with us in the midst of trying kingdom things. And Blue Water Mission is founded on that proposition. Following the voice of God in your life is about the best thing you can possibly do. The essential skill of faith is trying. The essential skill of seeking is honesty, and the essential skill of believing is deciding, and the essential skill of the life of faith is trying. Just give it a try. Just try the things that you believe in. It's as simple as that. And, uh, and we're here for you. And we're here for one another. And that's, uh, that's what this is all about. Let's pray. Just feel like the Lord just prompts me uh, to say, you know, the most important word in life is try, but the most important phrase in life is try again. Um, don't let failure knock you off your faith game. The first thing Jesus taught his disciples about ministry is if a village rejects you, move on, <laughs> shake it off. 
Shake it off. Jesus said that before Taylor Swift. Faith is all in the trying. Sometimes it leads to succeeding. The faith is all in the trying, people. I feel like, uh, I know some of you are having money struggles, and I feel like the word of the Lord to you today would be, well, try generosity. Try generosity. Maybe I'll give you some creative ideas. That would be filled with faith. Like there's one person here, a woman who's been writing down things that she feels called to do, but has not tried any of them yet. And I feel like the word of the Lord for you is stop writing. <laughs> Father God, I pray that you would speak uh, to us today and just encourage us in the life of, of faith. Encourage us in the life of try. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would knit us together in the unity that comes from uh, trying things together, trying small things, trying big things, trying strange things, whatever it is that we have to do. I thank you, Father, uh, for this community uh, of fellow travelers. I thank you that you've given us to each other. I pray, Father, that you would sanctify us for the life and that none of us would ever get stuck And in the name of Jesus, we repent of drifting. Life is short. We want it to be purposeful. Filled with love and generosity and truth.